drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome to Drive-By Cinema Season 2 Episode 49. The podcast where we watch the movies so you don't have to. With me is my co-host Paul. Hello everybody and welcome to my co-host Richard. Hello. How uh, how are we doing? How was your weekend? You enjoying the scorching weather? Do you know, I mean, what's happening? Like, it's 18 degrees on the bulb, and I, I'm separated. I can't move, Richard. Is this age or something? Or It's, well, it's obviously warmer inside, isn't it? I mean, yeah. And I, then I have a temperature thing inside that I can link up to. Let's see what it says. What does it read? It reads... 27 degrees in my flat. Hellfire. Yeah. At the moment. Yeah, right now. 21 it's degrees. It's only 23 outside. outside, is that right? Yeah. 21 here. 21 according to this. You're 23 outside. Mm hmm. Wowza. Okay. Well, it's 30 down south, isn't it? Or it has been. I know the Wimbledon final, they were playing in 30 degree heat, but it was 40 degrees on court. So. And is that guy still playing through his legs? Under. He was, but he lost, unfortunately. Is it not a dominating strategy? We're not going to see it again and again. Curious with the silent G. Uh, it, underarm serves, which I approve of, you know. People say, oh, it's, 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 it's not in the spirit of the game. It's unsportsmanlike. Well, so is a lob. So is a chip. So is a volley. So is a, you know, a drop shot. Anything that takes advantage of the other player's position and their ability from that position to reach the ball is played in the same spirit, yeah. So exactly, yeah. 50% of other shots, you know. It's so. tennis, not golf. And, of course, the underarm serve is perfectly legal, so... So, Paul, we did go and see Duran Duran, did we not? We saw Duran Duran live uh, at the Lytham Coliseum. Well, I thought it was knockout. I don't know what you thought. I thought it was also knockout. Yeah. A, a project uh, that was arranged by me. Uh, I arranged the tickets and planned the event and the attendance... Yeah, it worked out very well, didn't it? In the end, it did. Yeah, I, when Rich says arranged by me, I, there's there's a level of plenty of potentiality about this. You know, <laughs> I you know nobody else was invited to to help organise. <laughs> Command economy style. Richard said, "Oh, I bought some tickets," and then of course left me with the guilt trip of saying, "No, I don't want to go and see Duran Duran." Luckily, I did want to go and see Duran Duran anyway. Because, like, I think I'm an older fan of the band than Richard is. Or I've certainly seen them live before he has. So, Richard, you were saying it was organised very well. Yes, it was indeed. It went without a hitch. So, Paul, a week later, roughly speaking, you <laughs> said to me that you could get tickets for the Charlatans at the same venue. Yeah. Well, I actually did get tickets. For the bargain basement price of £10 each. I got tickets for the Charlatans and... The uh, the venerable Paul Weller, although he doesn't play any jam, uh, for ten quid each, ten quid a pop. You invited me, and I said, "Yeah, that sounds good," but I'm not quite sure. About uh, well, this is I mean, oh. again, here comes the command economy kind of aspect of it, Richard. I I said, right? You said, said you gave me a time. You said, "Be at mine at seven thirty. We'll go down and to you the said, venue." Sounds plausible. Plausible, yeah. Sounds plausible. Yeah, that doesn't sound to me like yeah, I'm going to be there. I was. All for that it, sounds but... like I'm taking a rain check. That sounds like no in English. English. <laughs> Look, as far as I was concerned, I knew where I had to be at what time. 
What more of an arrangement Look, could one need? It's not my fault you come from a passive-aggressive culture where I assume... <laughs> That everything is a coded statement for no. Now, look, I will... That's your responsibility, you know, not mine. What I will admit to is <laughs> that... Setting out without telling it. Setting out towards the concert without telling anybody. During during the weekend, I did not confirm that I was definitely coming. And I had said I wasn't sure about the timings. But 7.30 seemed fine. I did my last bit of stuff I had to do on Sunday and I set out immediately and I tried to call you. I tried to call a... So you curtailed social activities for this. I did. And I tried to call you on a mobile number that I had. Richard didn't get his shag. I don't... (laughs) I don't know whether... I wasn't trying to get shagged. I don't know that uh, I had your correct number. I don't know what mobile number of mine you had. Well, I, I called the number. It didn't work. I... I tried to call you... Can you give me the last four digits? Last four digits are 5642. Oh, heck. Well, that's from a long time ago. <laughs> I don't even recognise that number. I tried to call you on Discord, Paul, and eventually... Discord doesn't work. It did work. We had a conversation on Discord, eventually. No, we had it on Skype in the end. That was Discord. Or was it... No, I called you on Skype. Yeah, well, by that stage, anyway, I was... All the way up the M61 on the M6. Yeah, because you decided to call me. How far along the journey did you decide to tell me that you were coming? I tried to call you before I even left Manchester. Right. There was no, but nobody answered. So I just well, we're I've discussing this to, for the first time, by the way. Everybody. I've got to uh, start out. Which has been in a huff for <laughs> two days. I accept Madness. some responsibility, Paul. But you've got to admit that when you said. You gave me a time and a place. What what am I meant to do with that but be there? <laughs> right. And then I said, well, don't worry. I'm finished doing what I'm doing in about an hour's time. Come along and, you know, we can go for a drink or whatever. And you said, no, no, I'm turning right around. And what I imagined was, again, another <laughs> passive-aggressive huff. You stormed back off to Manchester and turned your ways off as well. <laughs> I, I went so, back home. I went back home. I couldn't even watch you go over the virtual hill kind of thing, disappear into the, into the dust on the road. <laughs> Quite sad. Well, you seem so shocked that I was just going to turn up out of the blue. Was, Who knows? I was truly shocked. Who knows what I was, what, what I was going to find? <laughs> well, I'd just been watching the movie we're about to review. Right. And there's there's a situation where somebody leaves voice messages, garbled voice messages, yes. <laughs> and can't get through to other people. So I thought, wait a minute, Richard. I th- actually thought you were playing a prank on me. <laughs> that's, that's what I thought. I thought, oh, God, he's just trying to scare me and echo echo the major themes of this movie that he knows I'm watching at the moment. Before we get into that, we need some music, but... Can I just say, in any case, if you had turned up and I had cancelled what I was doing, we wouldn't be able to go because I'd flog the tickets on a resale site anyway. So. <laughs> when you came... I hope you made right, a profit. I, was gonna ca- I did. Very small one. <laughs> because they said they're selling these tickets for £25, no bids over £25, but they didn't know I'd been somewhere cheaper than for 10 Oh, so when you came, when you were coming, I thought, right, I'll cancel everything and, and buy some more tickets. And I couldn't find any more tickets. So then I really had to cancel with you. <laughs> so between me... So I was, pre- I was preparing to drop everything, Richard. And you wouldn't have known a thing about it. But there were just simply no tickets available. So between you realising I was on so my there, way... <laughs> now you're feeling guilty. Now you're feeling bad about it. Oh, brilliant. We do have a correction before we get into the movie. So I'll fire. Because I think I had questioned, I questioned you when I think you said that Jim Broadbent had been in Only Fools and Horses. Yeah. And Adam pointed out that he was definitely in Only Fools and Horses, playing a character yes. called Roy Slater. 
That's it, yeah. And he sent me a picture, uh, a clip, a video clip. He looks quite a lot younger than Jim Broadbent does these days. So, almost unrecognisable, you might say. Wow. The other thing was, Jim Broadbent, I was like saying he's an MP. He's not an MP. He was doing the voiceover for the MP in the documentary. Confusing. Easily confused, isn't it, Paul? My stupidity is now resolved. (laughs) Because he wasn't a character. He was a real person that he was revoicing. Confusing. We have no model for that, do we, in the entertainment industry? No. No, they stepped out of the normality of the ring there. <laughs> Speaking of which... Cue music. Yeah. Here we go. Okay, Paul, what do you think of the director, Kevin Smith? I've not seen him. You have. You must have seen him. Kevin Smith. I don't know who he is. You forget you're talking to somebody who's completely ignorant, Richard. Completely though. ignorant. I mean, he... I'm, I'm, I'm the Pilkington to your Gervais, Richard. Kevin Smith uh, made it big with Clarks. The, oh, uh, do you know? Yes, he did. So, well, you know, Clarks. I, I wasn't huge on it at the time, but it's grown on me. I've watched it since. Yeah, it's it's a good movie, I think. There's a, a, there's a third one coming out at the moment. Well. That's right. You have to respect somebody who makes an indie movie and makes a fortune. I, I I don't know how you can not respect that kind of... Also Dogma, of course. He's famous for Dogma. Which he cast... everything is set up. You know, it's like the diamond industry, isn't it, the cinema industry. Everything is set up as a monopolistic or hegemonistic kind of industry, isn't it? There's no way in, really, unless you're in. So when these indie guys break through, I mean, whether you like the movie or not, you've got to give full kudos. But then... I find out I like the movie afterwards, Clarks. Yeah. Or Clerks, don't know how you say it in America. He's a good guy as well. He's, he seems like a decent guy. He does a lot of podcasts and stuff. In fact, I don't know if you're aware of this, this movie comes from his podcast. So the content of the movie is real content, or he created a podcast about a podcast that goes wrong? He has a regular podcast about movies and his interests and stuff. In fact, he has several. But one of them, I, I believe, my understanding is... And I've tried to listen to the episode, but it's now deep in the back catalogue, and I'm not sure they're available. I certainly don't seem to be Word. available for free. One of the episodes, I think, he kind of spitballed a crazy movie idea, which was this movie. And I think it was prompted by seeing an an ad on Gumtree, a post on Gumtree. You know what Gumtree is? Yeah. You do? Yeah. Because Gumtree was, I think, a UK thing. It's like Craigslist, but not as good. Exactly, yeah, yeah. There was a post on Gumtree which I think mirrored the letter that's found in this movie, which we'll get to. Whoa. And laid out the same kind of request. Except I think it says, you know, you have to put a free room available, basically, you have to pretend to be a walrus. (laughs) (laughs) Which brings us, begs the question, is what movie we're watching this week? We're watching Tusk from 2014, if any introduction were needed. Yeah, and in the opening, it says, based on actual events, which I don't think is... Strictly. It's sort of true in the sense that it is based on this post on Gumtree. This post, and that post alone. But I think that post It's not was... based upon Samurai Sword decap- denification. <laughs> no. Or, more critically, a serial killer. I think that post itself was placed by a Kevin Smith fan and a podcast fan. With you. 
you know, it circles within circles, isn't it? I'm not sure where that it is. where it begins and the, the the truth begins and the fiction ends and stuff. But obviously, this podcast humorously spitballed this idea for this movie, you know, and he laid out the three acts of the movie. Uh, I think at some point during the podcast, he asked the podcast listeners to say whether or not they should make the Walrus movie or not. And of course, the vast majority of the vote was, yes, make the movie. Yeah, of course, you've got to do it, yeah. And then here we are. (laughs) Whoa. Well, did he write it himself? He wrote it, yeah. It's written and directed by Kevin Smith. Whoa. And in fact, there's a character in the movie, I think, called Gregory Gumtree. He was the (laughs) murdered hockey player that the detective talks about. And there is, yeah, Gregory Gumtree. That was a reference to the Gumtree website. Yeah. This is a horror or a comedy, Paul? Well, I, well, I was just looking at the descriptors Paul. on the internet. It's strongly horrific, but it is also deeply comedic at, at the same time. But in waves, okay? Like, I would never <laughs> say it's horrific and comedic at the same time. It kind of occupies different quantum states between the two. Comedy in film has a long history, going back as far as Charlie the Chaplin and uh, Muster Keaton. Buster Keaton. Muster Keaton, isn't it? With an M. Buster Keaton. Is it? It's difficult to know, isn't it? Because unless you see the lips move, you can't tell the difference between an M and a B, can you? <laughs> it's true. And then, of course, in, after the silent era, in the talkies, we had classics like... Yanni and Hardy. Stop it right now. Well, you, you know Yanni and Hardy, don't you? Yeah, Laurel and Hardy. Oh, you hear it as Laurel. I, I hear it as Yanni. It's, oh, it's an auditory illusion, isn't it? <laughs> Tells you a lot about, about your personality, which way you hear that word, apparently. <laughs> where, where are you going with this auditory illusion, Richard? Is there a joke coming? No, there, there isn't a, a, any more jokes to get out of this, Paul. I'm exhausted now. Listen, though, it is a comedy, but it's not... The concept is a joke in itself, right? It's grotesque. Like, the idea that you just spitball this crazy movie from uh, a posting on a website and make it a Hollywood movie, you know, with with a sort of quasi-serious intent. I mean, you could argue that there's some deep message in here about storytelling or becoming the story or being consumed by the art of storytelling or something, couldn't you? I don't know. Which I think is bullshit. I think it's just Kevin Smith. Being kind of cute. We should uh, explain what happens, though. Or otherwise, no one will have a clue. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, written, directed by Kevin Smith. Starring uh, Justin Long, okay, as the poor podcast podcaster who gets dragged into... That's Wallace. Essentially, what's an alternate reality. His character's name is Wallace. Reality. Now, he's a Wallace, podcaster yeah. with a podcast co-host called Teddy. Wallace and Teddy. And they have a somewhat fractious relationship. I don't know why that trope exists in podcasts. But there we go. Yeah. Teddy, played by Haley Joe, Joel Osmond. Who's a big guy in Hollywood, but I don't know what he's been in. He was the little kid in The Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense, that's right. Okay, This was distributed by A24. Okay, big name now these days. Okay, Budget of $3 million. I don't know where they raised that from, uh, but only made $1.9 million in the box office. Their podcast is called, I think, The Nazi Party, which is obviously a bit of a, a joke. And it's an irreverent comedy podcast where apparently Wallace is the only one of them who'll fly. Uh, Zed, Teddy, sorry, always stays at home. 
And then Wallace goes out and does and things and interviews people and then comes back and explains it to Teddy. Wow. They are initially, at the start, obsessed with a viral video clip going around of a kid playing with a katana in his garage, which is an obvious homage to the Star, Star Wars, Wars, Wars kid. Who himself, I think, was Canadian, wasn't he? Possibly Quebec, Quebec yeah. Canadian guy. And he had messed around with what I read somewhere was a golf ball picker-upper in his garage, videoed himself. Sadly, it leaked. He was doing Darth Maul lightsaber fighting. Really got badly embarrassed, didn't he? But then the Numa Numa kid, you know, Numa Numa, hey, dances to that Romanian uh, pop song. I mean, like, he kind of rode it okay, didn't he? Because he was dancing, sat down, and jiggling his kind of muffin top figure to Numa Numa. And of course, you know, fatism and, and body shaming wasn't such an issue, was it, back then, 15 years ago, whenever it was. Uh, I took a rough ride, but somehow rode it out into the bubble of surf. I don't know how he did that. I mean, one of the problems with all of these cases is it's the popularity those viral clips gained really did nothing for the kids involved in those those clips. No. I mean, they weren't putting them out. They weren't getting the likes on their account. You know, so they were just... A, they weren't even appearing at local discos, <laughs> you know, for, for 200 quid. They were figures of ridicule, so, yeah. I, I mean, I guess it's got a little bit better these days. One, because, I mean, kids are so much more conscious of what their image is. So what they put out could possibly be less ridicule. I think the last one that was... Utterly laughable. I mean, there's a lot of utterly laughable stuff these days, particularly kids producing pop songs with professional production values, often taken for rides by the people making videos for them. In this particular made-up video meme, the kid yeah. with the katana waves it around until he accidentally <laughs> cuts his leg off at the thigh. <laughs> and Wallace's yeah. plan is he's going to go to Canada. He's apparently spoken to this kid. He's, the kid has written him a letter, too, and, and said, come up and visit. He's going to go and interview him about this unfortunate sequence of events. And so, that's the deal. He's going to Canada to see the kid who is known as Kill Bill Kid. <laughs> and there's a movie connection here, because apparently the guy who plays Howard, who we'll meet later, he was in Kill Bill. Okay, so he's off to see Kill Bill Boy, or Kill Bill Kid. The Kill Bill okay. Kid. Up, oot, in Canada. Okay. Uh, we get the crossing oh, okay. into Canada weirdness. Racist. We get his phone calls from the airport. And he holds up in Winnipeg for the night. Is that right? In a bar? Yeah. He he discovers that the kid, Kill Bill kid, has unfortunately committed suicide. Which is a black humour humor moment, isn't it, in this film? Really? Yeah, particularly when he turns up to the funeral kind of thing. You know, all smiles and, hey, where is the kid? Turn around. And it's his empty wheelchair. wheelchair with a, which he's yeah, been spaded into it, the yeah. earth kind of thing. So he drowns his sorrows in bar H, which I think is supposed to be bar I on its side kind of thing. I think there's a real bar I. Uh, is, is his co-host hooking up with his girl while he's away? Well, we see that in flashback later, apparently, yeah. And this is uh, why podcast co-hosts have these difficult relationships, isn't it? Because they're boning each other's girlfriends. Yeah, well, they're doing everything, everything behind, behind each other's backs, aren't they? So he's well, getting off with Ali, Wallace's putative girlfriend at the start of the film. Uh, Wallace himself has no plans on being loyal whilst he's up there and tells his co-host yeah. that he's about to... You so know, he says, but you don't see... So his wild we see no evidence of that Canadian during girls. the film, do we, in fact? It might all be mm. talk. It could be blasted, We're supposed yeah. to yeah. think that Wallace is 
a hot head, a loud mouth, you know, a shallow... He's billed as an arrogant yes. host, but I don't think he is particularly arrogant. I don't think is he, he is. I think there's a superficial level of brash showiness about him that's part of his yeah. podcast persona. And his girlfriend comments that she misses the old Wallace and that the new Wallace, the kind of podcast Wallace, is not someone she she likes as much. But to be honest, mm-hmm. I didn't think he was that bad. I thought it was a really interesting no. play, character play here. I, I think we're supposed to really root for him, but they put this these comments in to kind of set his character as, you know, in narrative terms, as deserving what is about to happen to him. By the Although, way, you know, by the way, Paul, when he's yeah. entering Canada, the border guard, the immigration guy checking his passport, he pulls him up on some crude Canadian stereotypes, doesn't he? Like the way you said a boot a, a moment ago. A boot, yeah. He, he says he takes him through some Canadoos and some Canadonts, doesn't he, of being in Canada. And one of them <laughs> is that they're not sad in Canada because... It's red and white, but never blue. Canadiers and Canadians. <laughs> Brill. Anyway, so whilst he's in the bar, seeing a man he, about a horse. He goes to the yeah. urinal. Whilst he's at the urinal, he finds a note pinned over the urinal, which he decides to read. Oh. It's quite a long, lengthy letter, written longhand, and it explains that there's a, a, a guy offering a room, I think, on the condition that they listen to his stories, and he's an old... Naval guy, a, a seaman. Salty sea dog. Yeah, he's got some stories, and stories are exactly the kind of thing Wallace is interested in. He doesn't want to go back empty-handed for his podcast, so he decides to call the guy, he has a number written on it, explain the proposition, he wants to go and interview this chap, and then he sets off when he's got the address to the location that he's given over the phone. He asks, he goes into a store, because this is a reference to Clark's, isn't it, that there's two unhelpful girls as shop clerks, and he asks them where this place called Bifrost is. And they say, oh, it's two hours north. Three hours out. Boot, yeah. Three hours out. And he repeats it, and they say they hate Americans. <laughs> it's two hours, Paul, not three hours. I don't know where you're getting three hours from. I'm sorry. Those Go. girls, those clerks in the shop, are played by... Well, one of them's played by Kevin Smith's daughter. Whoa. So that's nice. I'll tell you about the other one in a bit. Is she, is she cast of Stranger Things? Is she in the cast of Stranger no, Things not. now? You'll be amazed. Oh. So, he winds up at this big old house. And he goes in. He needs to pee because he's been on the road two hours. And This guy he's meeting who's called Howard Howe, who is indeed this, Howe. this old salty sea dog in a wheelchair, apparently. And he, he offers Wallace some tea. And Wallace is like, this is like the best tea I've ever had. And Howard's like, yeah, that's because I steeped it in brandy <laughs> beforehand. Yeah. Howard claims he's like a storyteller, and Wallace says he's a storyteller by trade. And he has to explain what a podcast is to old granddad here. It's quite a handy explanation of a podcast. He said it's like a radio show with no radio. True. And then they indulge in what has to be said is quite an eloquent and wide-ranging conversation. This is it. Because, again, although you might think Wallace is very very kind of shallow, he knows his Hemingway, and he knows his... It's quotes, doesn't he? Because they're both knocking out. He knows his ancient mariner as well. That's right. The rhyme of the ancient mariner comes up. So he's not not an idiot. Uh, Howard tells him the story initially about being at Normandy with Ernest Hemingway and getting him drunk on a bottle that he kept in the galley. He was some kind of kitchen, uh, kitchen orderly or something, wasn't he, on board this vessel? 
Now, later on, it transpires that Howard is a wonderful liar. So, watch, looking back, do you think it was this, this in, in the story was meant to be presented as a true story or him spinning yarns? I, I guess it doesn't matter, does it? But you'd assume. It doesn't, no. It's a damn fine story, though. Mind you, why would he keep... But the details pan out, don't they? Okay, because, I mean, Hemingway was seen as a valuable asset, so wasn't allowed to land with the other soldiers, oh. and so wanted to get drunk instead on the boat. And why would he keep an, an empty Howard. whiskey bottle on the shelf, you know, just to prove that story, to witness that story? It's a very elaborate way of going about that. True, and he's very well-to-do, and it is a grandiose house. So, yeah, we can assume that he's had real adventures in his life, that he's not just renting the place out for the weekend. Um, Wallace is drawn to an interesting artefact that's part of Howard's collection of things. <laughs> On a stand, there is a walrus cockbone. Apparently, <laughs> cockbones are quite a common thing in the animal kingdom. In mammals, yeah. yeah. Really, is that so? Apart from humans. Apart from humans. Great. <laughs> Wallace plays with it <laughs> suggestively. Howard explains that he'd become acquainted with a walrus while he was <laughs> lost at sea. He's got this story about... This is a fabulous story. and This, I thought, was one of the most comic moments in the entire movie. Just this, 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 this was brilliant storytelling. Well, he's talking about the hunt on board this vessel for the... The great white Siberian shark. Siberian shark. Yeah. Isn't Siberia it's twenty feet long? Isn't Siberia apparently. like landlocked in central Russian steppes or something? Or? No, no. It's the. It, I mean, the northern and northeastern seaboard of the US, what the previous USSR and Russia today is Siberia. But it's presumably in permanent pack ice, is it? Or am I? Maybe. Yeah. Perhaps not anymore. Yeah. And part of this story involved falling into the sea, didn't it? Yeah, the ship hits a berg, and they all end up in the sea. And presumably there's Siberian sharks swimming around. He drags himself up onto a small island where he sees a walrus. And the walrus keeps him warm. I mean, obviously, really, if you fell into the Arctic Sea... I think the idea is the walrus picked, plucked him out of the water and... Swam him there, isn't that the idea? That's not the story depicted in the black and white flashback, is it? He seems to drag oh. up himself on the breach. I see. But maybe they didn't want to... Probably they. Kevin Smith is smart enough not to try and put a CGI walrus in his film. <laughs> so I think we can assume at this point he's telling porkies, isn't he? He called him Mr. Tusk and apparently had a long <laughs> relationship with him. Uh. <laughs> and he realised that the walrus was the <laughs> most beautiful and most noble animal on Earth, a man paled in comparison to the magnificent beast. And Wallace says that this is cute, this story, and the old guy yeah. says, cute is for Chinese babies, which is slightly racist, isn't it? Uh, at which point Wallace realises that his tea has been drugged. I mean, honestly, this has been heavily telegraphed, hasn't it? From the moment he sipped the yeah. tea and said, oh, this tea is something else kind of thing, you knew there was something fishy going on with the tea. Because no American, nor I suspect Canadian, can likely as not make tea very well. Let's face it. Come at me if you disagree. Have you ever had tea in America, Paul? Uh, I've had Texan tea. Oh, oh you mean like in cold, sweet, iced tea kind of stuff? Well, the preparation is quite extensive, you know. Right. And the, the output... Involving lemons and sugar oh. and steeping in sugar. Uh, and the tea part is really quick, you know. 
but the whole thing and then the ice and whatnot and put it in a picture or put it in like you know like a french press without a lid on uh all that's quite quite involved really yeah but i mean it's just a heavily sugared you know soft drink isn't it oh it's no it's unbelievably sugared <laughs> like I, I couldn't believe it's it's there's more sugar than lemonade than homemade yeah, lemonade yeah, you know what yeah. i mean it's just crazy i mean when i've stayed in like tastes good though quite in the quite high class hotels in the states and you ask for yeah. tea invariably you what, what they bring tea. you no 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 obviously you ask for hot tea you know black hot tea and stuff invariably oh, what they bring you is a cup of richard if this is too painful you don't have to tell us <laughs> it's a cup of hot water this is a horror story. A cup of hot water, presumably pulled out of the coffee machine, I would guess. Oh, God. And a tea bag in a packet next to it. Oh, no. And usually it's Lipton's, because I think that's the only tea they can really get, you know, which is... And this is, this is a top-grade hotel, yeah, yeah. And, of course, you've probably had to ask for milk, and probably they've given you cream that they would give you a coffee. In defence of Americans, imagine what they feel when they order waffles and get potato waffles in the UK. <laughs> you know? I mean, <laughs> I think they do have potato waffles in the US. I think they're called potato cakes. So potato I'm cakes. I'm not sure they're called waffles. Well, what what happens when they order an English muffin in England? I don't know. I don't know either. That probably something grinds to a halt in the logical thing of the universe, doesn't it? I don't understand. What... Now, Wallace passes out brilliantly, okay, and then pretty much we're... We're with him when he wakes. We have a dream sequence. The next morning, presumably. He fla- or the at next this day, point whatever. in his dream, he flashes back to just before he was leaving. And That's his girlfriend is saying, don't, don't go to Canada. Uh, she doesn't want him to go. Uh, and she doesn't think it's very classy to make fun of a kid uh, who lost his leg. Fair point. Fair point. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm actually going to hear his story. He called me up there kind of thing. And Fair point also. Then he, he comes around. He wakes up sitting in a wheelchair, drooling in a... Big tiled room somewhere in this big house. There's some good acting going on here. The way he draws, yeah. the way he slurs his word, it's just so convincing. Quite brilliant, yeah. Now Howard is there waiting for him to wake up. And he says, unfortunately, he was bitten by a brown recluse spider. Which is clearly <laughs> not true. And he claims a doctor arrived and stepped in. And uh, unfortunately, they had to take his leg off. Lest the venom from the spider up to his heart and he looks down <laughs> and there's a very ugly looking amputation sort of scar and he has only one leg <laughs> so this is this is just p- purely and bizarrely comic there's no horror at this point he, i thought it was quite horror horrible because at this point it was hard to look yeah. at but the whole situation was just wildly grotesque and hilarious yeah because i mean no spider webs have been woven here <laughs> but plenty of yarns are being spun <laughs> Because Howard is just extemporizing on his lie here. He is, you know? yeah. He, he really doubles down because Wallace doesn't totally believe him. Well, I mean, Wallace isn't thinking straight. He's waking no. up from some sort of morphine-induced stupor, you know. So he's trying with all his faculties to just not to accept what Howard is saying. I can't quite manage it. But he's like, what did the spider look like? You know, and, well, and Howard's like saying, well, you know, it's small. Spidery, bitsy, bitsy yeah. spider. <laughs> and then, this is brilliant acting, I thought, from the guy, Michael uh, Michael. Parks, he plays yeah, Howard. That's right. You know, he just starts singing "It's a Bitsy Spider," goes, starts yeah, staring really off into space in this weirdly maniacal way. It was just wonderful. Great Some really nice moments yeah. in this. Scene. It's a proper psychotic break, yeah. And while this just starts howling, you know, yelling with terror, I suppose. And at which point, Howard stands up out of his supposed wheelchair, 
walks over and slaps him. It was obvious, really. If he was in a wheelchair, he couldn't have handled him around. He couldn't have made dinner. Not before he? he lies about. Uh, he lies about Wallace's phone having been stepped by on the by doctor, the doctor, yeah. and the doctor banning all phones yeah. in the home so he can get some rest and peace and quiet. You know, he's just. I mean, he. You know, he will spin out his lies to a ridiculous degree. So it's obvious at this point the guy is batshit, and he he is batshit because at this point he also he flips and he comes clean with Wallace and he says. He's been constructing a very realistic walrus suit, which will fit Wallace perfectly, with some modifications. And he wants to know if man is indeed a walrus at heart. And Wallace starts screaming again in pure terror. Brilliant. And Howard just starts howling back at him, so they're both howling together. Yeah. Both of them here, at the end of the scene, just so, so convincing in their roles. Like... It felt palpably real, even though the situation is ridiculous. And I, you would imagine actually these weird conversations do occur with serial killers at this kind of moment in that, you know, in, in, in what they're doing. But at the same time, they really turned it up, the volume to 11. But at the same time, it was still convincing and really, really, really kind of moving in a certain sort of way. You really felt for Wallace's situation, just completely impotent, screaming into a void, uh, and screaming into a madman's face, you know. So. Particularly as well as, there's sort of an erotic sexual element, isn't it? It's there's a sort yeah. of sadomasochistic side to this where he's forcing this person to be his And the fact it does seem that Howard is actually really into walrus. <laughs> yes, really strangely that as well. I mean well. he has a walrus yeah. cockbone on his mantelpiece, let's face it. So at this point I think can I just interject with but what I wanted to talk about, which was uh, what do I want to talk about? I want to talk about tone. Okay. So this movie, if you read any reviews, says highly praised for its production values and atmosphere, and who can fault it? But received criticism for its tone. Can I just head back to a couple of movies we have watched? <laughs> One, The Trip, weird Norwegian outing, where the tone was all over the yes. place. Two, Dave made a maze, a rollicking amount of fun, but again, the tone People die. was, shall we say, slightly suspect. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there are parallels here. But, but you know... I- I- I think if you're breaking genre-defined tone, I think that's a good thing. You know, and that's what they do here. I, I, I think the fact that it went from ridiculously funny conversations about amputation to really quite harrowing scenes of people screaming in each other's faces, all in a couple of minutes, I kind of like these changes of tone, to be honest. But with really, you. the tone is constant. I mean, it's ridiculous all the time, and it's funny all the yeah. time, and it's hor- horrific all, all the time. time, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> To me, it's greatly improved by knowing that it's kind of a throwaway, crazy film idea being made into an actual film. Yeah. If this was done in earnest, there'd be real worries, right? I mean... (laughs) (laughs) But why do movie tones have to be a certain level of constant? They don't, do they? So, yeah, I I wouldn't convict it of that, the tonal element. I mean, a lot of horror is comedic at some level. Yeah, well, it has to be. Otherwise, otherwise we're just... Taking joy in watching people die, aren't we? Uh, yeah, it's a snuff movie, otherwise, isn't it? Yeah. And and horror that's yeah. like that is grimly, uh, uh, unrelentingly depressing. Quite often, at this point in the movie, we flashed back to Ali doing kind of a vlog. I think I couldn't work out w- w- yeah. why she was doing it, but she's talking about her suspicions of Wallace cheating on her, and she's obviously taking solace in somebody else. It's obviously Teddy, right? I mean, there's no no yeah. other characters we know of. It is Teddy, as we learn later. She's obviously trying to ring him at some stage. And back in the Howard's house, we've got Wallace in a wheelchair, and he's hearing his 
ringtone. We've heard his ringtone before. It's a sort of a little tune, isn't it? I think it's from another podcast, actually. Yeah. So he knows his phone is still alive, doesn't he? And meanwhile, yeah. Ali and Teddy are like in bed together and stuff and just about to sleep. They put the phones on charge in the bathroom. A bit weird. I don't know why you would do that. But anyway, American the thing. phones ring and they either don't hear it because hers is on silent. And when Teddy's rings, he's brushing his teeth and he, he ignores it. And I guess, obviously, he's seeing that Wallace is ringing and he's in, in bed with his girlfriend. He's not going to pick the phone up at that point, is he? Right. So progressively, Wallace gets more and more amputated, doesn't he? Well, he, it, first of all, he does manage to find his phone. He sends a voicemail message, even though neither of them pick up. I don't know why he didn't send a location pin. That would be my first thing, right? Is turn on my live location. Lacking presence of mind. But he sends them a voicemail and he does explain the situation. And whilst he's doing that, Howard creeps up behind him and whacks him on the head. Again. And at this point, as you say, he then undertakes some real serious like surgery on him. <laughs> and it's properly grotesque because he cuts off his other leg and then he sews his arms sort of next to him by his side so he can't move them except like little flippers. Awful. Meanwhile, Ali has picked up a voicemail and is very agitated now that she's heard that Wallace is in trouble. And obviously, Teddy's obviously concerned. So they get out of bed and go give chase. Howard is explaining to Wallace as he's sewing him up that he, he's got this story about him being an orphan. And actually quite a triggering story about him being abused, about the orphanage. Abused. Something about the orphanage being classified as a mental institution or something for some kind of... Yeah. Then him being exploited as a kid and... Farmed out for use by by adult men, yeah. But making Howard the victim of abuse as a child is sort of an attempt to explain why he's a sick bastard, right? Yeah. And I'm not sure that it needed to be in in this movie. Again, it's a tonal thing, right? That's a very dark tone. And it's actually playing an old trope about killers and paedophiles and serial killers of all, were all abused as kids, which yeah. I'm not sure is true. It, it's true. a very popular idea. And people also like the idea that there's a reason that this has happened, right? That oh, we yeah. can understand why, sort of understand why someone did this because they suffered some abuse and it's somehow... I mean, can I just say in Howard's defence, I think living... On an island with a walrus for three years probably would be enough to send you crazy. So, of the two stories he tells, that's the one you think is believable. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ali and Teddy have gone to Canada and they've had a quick interview with the normal police, but they can't really help. They they take the details and say they'll put out a normal missing persons thing. But he does mention that there is a guy (laughs) hunting a serial killer, so he puts him in touch. With this. To Guy Lapointe. Guy Lapointe. Now. Who is Johnny Depp, of course. Oh, you knew it was Johnny Depp. Or did yeah. you just look that up? No, I knew it was Johnny Depp. Oh, okay. I'll tell you what, Tropic Thunder, I didn't get Tom Cruise at all for the whole two hours. Said, yeah, until so. the end. As I said several times. I don't think Johnny Depp is credited. Certainly not at the start of this film. Is I he don't not? I think so. Oh, it's obviously Johnny Depp. I didn't recognise him for a good while. He's got quite a lot of, of slaps, slap on, hasn't he? Now, he's playing a very broad caricature. I mean, he's wearing a fucking beret, right? <laughs> he's a French-speaking Quebec-y... What is the word, isn't there, for Quebecois? Quebecois. Yeah. He's French-speaking, but, it, you know, he speaks in a strongly French-accented English to them. But he hates Quebec. So you say. He doesn't like poutine. He says that. He says poutine makes him 
does terrible things to do. Yeah, I can't stand fucking poutine, he says. And weirdly, okay, uh, he takes hamburgers and remolds them into some sort of French pate. Uh-huh, Is that uh-huh. right? Paul, uh, you said it was a hamburger. Uh, it's a very understandable mistake. Beef burger. Uh, he, hold on. The name of the restaurant is the Gimli Slider. Why? Oh, it's a slider. Why is it called Gimli Slider? Because they make sliders. Sure, true, fact. But secondly, it's named after, and you'll see, the logo is a little plane. And she says something like "Happy Flight" or something. She gives them their food. Uh-huh. It's named after the Gimli Glider incident. Yeah, I'm not seeing any recognition. So let me explain. No, this is an air accident that occurred. When I think it was a 747, but certainly a big passenger plane, was inadequately fueled for its operation. Whoa. Ran out of fuel entirely and had to be glided in with no engine power at all. Whoa. For a dead stick landing at the Gimli uh, airport, uh, airfield. No way. Dropping at nine degrees. Yeah. 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 It was a a textbook engine out landing. No one was, I don't don't believe anyone was uh, killed. So. At nine degrees, how's that possible? They just hoof it up in the last ten you, seconds. You flare on his rear end. I mean, planes are designed to do that. You know, they have a glide slope, and they when when a plane lands at an airport, its engines are it off. Is dropping, its yeah. engines are, are, are idle anyway. So with you, with you. So the the key thing about landing, you know, from altitude is making sure that you know you can reach an airport and you do so at the right point in the glide slope. It takes a bit of maths, doesn't it? But amazing. I went to Southport Air Show on the weekend. Oh yeah, did you see the red arrows? Well, let me just. Oh. I saw the gyro, gyro, gyro copter, gyro copter, or gyro is they call it. Auto gyro. And I thought, well, you know, this is Liverpool. And there are plenty of gyros <laughs> to be seen or to be had in Liverpool. Then there was like these red arrow things came along, and I'm not sure if they put diesel in instead of kerosene, but there's all this smoke coming out of the back. Yeah, of them. yeah, it's not very environmental, so. is it? And then the typhoon came along, and I'm pretty sure it took a wrong turn at Crosby, like I do at the traffic lights, because it kept weaving in and out. So I'm not sure what's going on. What was the best thing that you saw? Then the other thing came on. It was just a seagull, you know, my sunglasses. (laughs) Uh, No, so no, the typhoon was without doubt. It was just astonishing. And this is subsonic. I mean, imagine it's supersonic at 1,600 miles an hour. It would just be unbelievable. I mean, it was doing, what, 550 miles an hour? Uh, But, oh, gosh, I've never seen a plane manoeuvre like that. Just crazy, crazy. 12G, the pilot was experiencing. But the noise, unfathomable. When the women's Euro started in Old Trafford last week, three typhoons flew over Manchester, over Old Trafford and over the city centre. And... I, I like. I thought something horrific was happening. <laughs> I thought <laughs> oh, an airliner was coming down, and I immediately looked on Twitter and just saw all these people going, "You know what the hell was that? Where were those three fighters flying over the sea?" So uh, yeah, it was very loud. You're right. Yeah, amazing. Anyway, props to uh, Southport Airshow. Good show, chaps. Very good show indeed. I definitely go again. So that's why it's called Gimli Slider. It's a pun on the place that they're in. And Gimli Glider. the fact that they're serving sliders. So here's question number two, Paul. What's the difference between a burger and a slider? Like British tapas? <laughs> okay. Small plates, yes. Okay. If you take hamburgers and raise them to the power tapas, <laughs> you get sliders. I mean, you're not wrong for reasons you might not realise. So it's like British tapas, isn't it? American tapas. It's American tapas, but not quite as good as British tapas. See, some people think that a slider is just a miniature burger. Of which you might have no. two or three. 
You might have them as appetizers before a main course, for instance. Yeah. But that's not actually true. Sliders are different, cooked differently. Ah. A slider, and I've learned this only today by reading around, a slider is prepared by taking a meatball and squashing it down with fried onions. It's got a much higher fat content than an ordinary burger, which is why they slide down. Ah. You're probably best advised not to eat as many sliders as you might think. With because you. they're much fatter, fattier than a burger. So they're different, but they're different food. Yeah. But you're quite right. Johnny Depp is taking what looks more like a burger, but who knows, and he's squashing it flat. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, before he Not quite it. sure. It's a, it's a choice. Anyway, he plays this choice. French detective with a certain amount of Je irony. Sais quoi. And a, and a certain amount of uh, hamminess that I think is intentional, just like he's Jack, he's Jack, Jack pirate character. And uh, yeah, so whilst he's kind of talking about... He's telling them that this guy's killed 23 people and he's hunting Yeah, them. he's a serial yeah. killer. Yeah, yeah. And he says... Uh, there's a, I met him that's once. That's right. This is an amazing flashback scene, isn't it? Uh, we flash back now and we're, we're with Guy meeting Howard, a young, slightly hung, younger Howard, on his the stoop of his hut wherever he's living at the time and we get this scene where both of these great actors are really hamming it up to the nines aren't they (laughs) we got johnny depp pretending to be this french speaking cop and we've got howard howard sorry michael sorry michael michael parks pretending to be a psychopath acting out as a village idiot he's like mike michael myers isn't he in i thought it was i thought for a moment they'd swapped him in for michael myers (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's playing this real kind of Canadian kind of hick idiot as you say cleverly of course as a psychopath they have this amazing so. exchange which is underscored with like this French accordion <laughs> music <laughs> I don't know whether that's just signifying that we're in a flashback but it was very very entertaining it was a great scene great scene I can't remember but it was really funny and I don't know what was funny about it mostly because they were talking about hockey I think that's right, yeah. Ice hockey. Yeah. In any case, uh, the detective is annoyed because now looking back, he can see that, you know, this guy was in his grasp. Yeah. Yeah. And he was thinking, well, the hockey player was probably being mutilated as he spoke on that po- porch in the little uh, in the little shack behind And him. he says the only evidence they've got from the autopsies is there was a bit of leg bone in the mouth holes of the bodies that they found of the heads. The skulls had holes in them. And they didn't know what, why they had holes but there's this big bit of leg bone in them. How could that be? Why would that be there? <laughs> Nothing like a walrus tusk. Okay. We cut back now, I think, to our present day uh, and his ministering of walrus training to Wallace. Wallace is now in full walrus suit. This is shocking, isn't it? In what appears to be like, you know, the penguin pool <laughs> I think I gasped when I saw this. <laughs> and it's just incredible. Like He's just in... The sewn skins of the previously killed people, presumably. It's Frankenstein's uh, walrus monster, isn't it? It's all stitched together. All sort of sewn into his face, so his face forms a watertight seal with the, with the walrus suit. And now you see why his arms have been tied back and his legs cut off so that he can fit into this suit. And essentially, Howard is training him to go in the water and behave like a walrus. And at one point, he gets down and lies in the cage with Wallace and he sings to him. Rather yes. intimately. And then he throws him a whole mackerel, says he must be hungry. And because he is hungry, so he does eat this mackerel. And he's cut his tongue out as well. He can't speak anymore, Wallace. He's just now growling and moaning. And sounding quite like a walrus as a result. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, of course, then we get yeah. the scene where they, they're tracing the steps of uh, where Wallace went, and they go to the store clerk, and it's called the uh, A to Z, E-H to Z store. That's what they've got on their pockets, the store clerks. <laughs> and they ask about this guy, and they both call him Mr. Mustache. Because we haven't mentioned that uh, Wallace does have this like walrus style, walrus like mustache, mustache yeah. whole thing, doesn't he? And Gee grabs the the pad that Wallace had written down the, the zip code or whatever of the address on, <laughs> and he does that thing where he, this was deeply humorous. He turns the pencil on its side and rubs <laughs> over so you can see what was. He's like, whoa! He's like, yeah, I didn't fucking know to this until recently. No, he says. Teddy says he saw that in the Big Lebowski, and Gee says, yeah, that's right. That's all right, sorry too. <laughs> Sorry too. Just there are some really funny moments here. Podcast moments actually thinking about how this is being written. And meanwhile, Howard's swimming now with uh, with Wallace, and Wallace sees when he goes underwater, he sees the bodies. Isn't it awful? Loads of other like walrus human hybrids. It is truly horrific. It's almost stomach churning at this moment. It is. Yeah. It's. Uh, I saw it compared, and I thought this myself at the time. It's like the Human Centipede movie. I don't know if you've seen that. No. Yeah, well, that's where a German doctor gets three people, and and he sews the oh, mouth God. to the anus of the guy in front. Oh no! In a human centipede. <laughs> Please. Similar, similar idea, isn't it? So I really get the ideas of ch- tonal change. Yeah, Hor- you know, horrific comedic humor uh, uh, is now just—it's just horror. The, you know, at this moment, I think where where Wallace is being trained to swim and drowning in this walrus suit, looking at all these dead—it's bo- it's dead, ramping up, isn't dead it? Dead walrus cadavers beneath them. You know, it is truly horrific. And you know? Howard is expressing that he he wants to sort of train him up to fight like a a walrus because he reveals now that the walrus that he'd spent time on the island with and kept him warm when he was freezing that he yeah. had to eat that walrus kill it and eat it in order to survive i think his thesis now is he wants to give the walrus sort of spirit a chance to revenge itself on him as it were i mean in terms of serial killers a lot of this <laughs> is an exaggeration of the truth you know trophy taking yeah. sort of magical thinking about reinventing the past or, or erasing the past by giving options to to the victim that ultimately are not going to be enabled you know oh, yeah. as we find out when this fight to the death between him and uh, Wallace occurs you know i mean there is yeah. an element of truth Absolutely. In, i mean in yeah. how how serial killers play out these things morally in their own minds they're dime a dozen aren't they walrus killers yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not another walrus killer <laughs> So he says, come on, fight to the death. I'll get in my walrus suit, you get in your walrus suit, and we'll fight it out, yeah. So we're back to the comedic at this point. Yeah. That's right, Howard's got a walrus suit with, like, tusks on his head, whereas Wallace's tusks are sort of surgically implanted into his, his upper lip, aren't they? So it's not quite the same thing, but... So they're fighting, and Wallace is getting the upper hand, and so Howard doesn't keep his end of the deal. He said, well, you know... I said, you know, a walrus should learn to fight to the end, and, and a man can too. And the way I'll do it is by thinking like a man. And he rips off his suit and starts fighting with his hands. Is that right? Or something like that? But he's overpowered, isn't he, by Wallace? He is, Who yeah. stabs him with his tusks repeatedly. <laughs> you get the feeling that Howard's not totally upset by this, I think, ultimately. It's kind of the way he wants to go, isn't it? Yeah. Ali and Teddy, who have been given guns by Yi, they found the house, they burst it in. And they see. I was worried they were going to shoot Wallace, the walrus. Well, it seemed very likely. Because he's so it? horrific. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Ali and Teddy kind of clock what's happening. And then Guy arrives with a shotgun and 
he he levels the shotgun, points it at, at Wallace, and then fades out. And it's one year later, and we now see <laughs> Ali and Teddy arrive at the you know walrus sanctuary or whatever it is, the ma- the manatee <laughs> reserve. <laughs> and there's a little paddock there with a little sort of mud cave and a pond and a load of big gulp slurpy things where he's been drinking from, and. Ali delightfully has brought him a, a, a fish, a whole mackerel wrapped in a newspaper. And she tosses it to him. And she, say, she says at the end, yeah. oh, you know, I still love you. Still love you, Wallace. <laughs> he's beyond comprehension. He's become a full walrus now. Has he, though? Uh, Echoes he? of Shaun of the Dead, you know, where Simon Pegg's character ties up his, his zombie mate to play Nintendo or Sony PlayStation in the garden shed forevermore. <laughs> Do you think he is full walrus, though? Or is there a shred of his humanity left? Is he shedding a tear at the end when she tells him that she loves him? Isn't That's the key question of this film. Hmm. Has he gone full... Is that the key question? Has he gone full walrus? <laughs> has he gone full walrus? I'm, well, I'm going to say, yeah, he's gone full walrus. I mean, he's living in a walrus paddock and eating raw mackerel, so I don't, yeah. I don't know. No coming back and that. better And better that than, you know, becoming a serial killer. You know, I think, you know, there are outcomes... Where you just got to let it out, better out than in. If you keep it in, it's going to turn rotten. He's only it? killed one, hasn't he? So he's, he's not a serial one. killer, not yeah. even a spree killer. So at no point do they play the music "I Am the Walrus" to their credit. <laughs> no, that's true. And you know, obvious parallels for me wasn't about his humanity there, there in or there out. Was more about is this about how we all make ourselves performing seals kind of thing? Yeah. Was there a performing seals thing running through here about? what we do for our art and what we do for our jobs. Yeah, I think that's kind of explicit, isn't it, in the way they... Yeah. In the way that he's all about his podcast initially. Uh, he's all about his podcast, you know. But maybe there are some deeper, deeper underrunning currents about what is humanity and... What is walrus Do we keep our humanity... Do we keep our humanity in the worst moments and can our humanity be improved? Or, sorry, can our uh, humanity make it out somehow stronger? Through adversity. I mean, Solzhenitsyn would probably say yes. He's probably a lone voice in that, isn't he? I think the reality is, you know, that horrible situations harm us horribly, don't they? Let's do scores then, Paul. Okay. I don't know how to score this. Horror, obviously. Comedy, obviously. I'm not sure what else. Mm. So we've got acting. Oh, of course. We've got acting and plot, haven't we? Oh, we've got lots to score here. Acting, I thought, was The acting was really great. Good, yeah. I'm I'm just not going to say anything about it. It was just, you know, uh, Howard as as this serial killer psychopath. Just the moments of detachment, of unhingedness, were just so convincing. And yet, Hammy, they're not subtle so performances. He, they're very broad, especially Johnny. Very Jack, broad, you know. but fit the movie, yeah. you know, fit the mold, and fit and you know, fit the requirements. Understood the assignment. For me, it's got to be a nine. I'll go. I'll go eight. Yeah. Uh huh. But you're right. It it does fit the mood. I think it's good. So, story then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's an interesting little yarn. It's a kind of yarn, you know, you, your parents might tell you is a horror story kind of thing. It just goes everywhere, doesn't it? And it's there to be unbelievable. To, I think it does, you know, it hooks in nicely with lots of urban myths, psych core ideas of lots of different kind of things. So, generally works. I'm going to give it a 6.5. It's really well paced, you know. There's a lot that you don't notice about this film because it's just... Well crafted. It's you see, critics complained about the length of this movie, but I, no. I just found it, it came. It, it, it wished by. Yeah. I, you know, it's it, sorry. It swished by. I wished it were a little bit longer. Actually. Possibly. I think it's just a well crafted, like single shot piece of work. I don't yeah. think we're going to get a walrus cinematic universe here. 
And, I don't, and we don't want it. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. So I'm going to give it an eight again for story, I think. Whoa. Okay, high praise indeed. Okay, how about horror? Was it horrific? It was horrific, yeah. In a good filmic way or in just like, oh, I want to be sick kind of way? It's a bit over the top, obviously. I mean, it's playing with that Hollywood trope of you know, being over the top, isn't it? Uh, yeah. The horror isn't subtle. It is completely outlandish. But again, it's related to podcasts as well, isn't it? So, I mean, I think that all kind of, not excuses it, but it all kind of feeds into the general overt horror and grotesque horror of this movie. I thought it was genuinely horrific. Uh, at times it was disturbingly horrific, uh, but I don't think it overstepped its remit or mark. I'm going to give it an eight for horror. I'll give it a seven. Comedy. Did it make you chuckle? Did you feel embarrassed about how you chuckled? I thought it was generally amusing, and I was very pleased yeah. about the, the overall funny idea of this film, which especially yeah. at the very end, over the credit sequences, you hear part of the podcast, right? Where Kevin Smith is just laying out... Did you switch off during the credits, by the way? I kind of did, yeah. Shame, shame, because you hear a bit of the podcast, Kevin Smith lays out... Uh, the fourth, sorry, the third act of the film, and it's quite amusing. And he's talking about, you know, has he gone full walrus? And there's also a post-credit <laughs> scene with Guy Dupont uh, at the end as well. So, uh, yeah, maybe you should go back and rewatch the end. The comedy definitely worked for me. Everything about it was proportionate. The two Clark store Clark girls, one of them was Kevin Smith's yeah. daughter, and the other one, Johnny Depp's daughter. No way. And they were great as well. They were they were one of the funny bits. I really loved it. Their sort of sardonic take on, on life. So the comedy was paced just... For me, it was this just this absurdist idea that they just kept on going with. You know, <laughs> yeah. a man who loves walruses and kills people to make the walruses. It's just like most people would be afraid to go That's near right. that as a comic It's a brave idea, film. And they just yeah. went with it. Yeah. It's it's taking that absurdist energy of like National Lampoon, yeah, yeah. but attaching it to a really grotesque situation. And for me, the comedy simply works. So for me, I'm going to give the comedy a 7.5. I will give it a 7 as well. It's at least three laughs in there, if not more. Okay, how are we doing? Have we got all of the categories there? Yeah. Well, we're doing a damn sight better than some of the critical reviews. It was kind of split in two, a very schizoid kind of review. You can understand it, right? Guardian likes it. If you don't get Kevin Smith, or you don't understand where this movie is from, yeah. or you go in expecting a normal horror, or you go in expecting, like, a scream... No, what's it called? The, um... What's the scream skit called? Mean, yeah. The... Anyway. Horror movie. That yeah. Kind of if you go in expecting a comedy like that, you're going to be completely weirded out, aren't you? Yeah. It's really going to miss this is weird. the audience, isn't it, yeah. if you're not careful? Yeah, so like, you know, The Garden gave it four, but then The Seattle Times gave it zero out of five, say, Tusk, which is based on one of Smith's own podcasts. It's the most disgusting and pointless <laughs> movie I have ever seen. Emphasis on pointless. I spent half the movie sick to my stomach. Okay, I think he hasn't understood the point, really. It's not meant to be a serious horror I movie. think it was awakening feelings of walruses in him that he didn't realise that he had. Sure, but it has split the reviews down the middle. Overall, it gets fairly average reviews. But I have to say, in summary, I'm going to have to score it an 8. Uh, definite, definite recommend. And flies by in a matter of minutes, okay? This is one an enjoyable movie that, you know, just doesn't linger. It just keeps on going. I do like it. I think it's a great addition to Kevin Smith's filmography. 
I wonder whether an eight is a little high for a movie which you have to admit not everyone is going to get. <laughs> I know, but I've got to score how I feel yeah, about it. I, I, listen, I, I, look, I was I was going in here looking not to enjoy this and think I'm going to have to pound this. Oh, it this. won you over. So in a sense, oh. it won me over and because it's done that. It has to get a higher mark. I'm sorry. I'll give it a seven. Thanks, Kevin Smith. Uh, maybe we should do Clark 3, but we should choose a movie that we can actually see right now for next week's. We should. And this has been a difficult journey, finding movies that don't cost nineteen ninety nine <laughs> on stream. Yeah, okay. Can I give you a few options? Because okay. I'm not saying we're scraping the bottle of the barrel, but I want to give you some options so that you can find something we do actually want to watch. And maybe return to a lighter tone, perhaps. Spiderhead. Okay, 2022, starring the handsome Chris Hattie. New on Netflix. Yeah. Interceptor, billed as one of the worst movies on Netflix. Seeking a friend for end the of end the of the world. Which I think is a Steve Carroll movie, isn't it? And then I would say Escape Room 2, but it's a we bit can't, We can't get it easily. Uh, so, well, not without yeah, auctioning your first book. Huge amounts of capital outlay. Yeah. Okay, so it's down to three. Interceptor, NAF movie, though... Improving scores, okay? Its reviews are improving. Uh, Spiderhead, some sort of sci-fi outing with Chris Hemsworth. And Seeking a Friend for the End of Paul, the World. I think world. if we want lighthearted, we have to go Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. A comedy dystopian sci-fi. Is it comedy sci-fi? I believe so, yeah. Let's do that, okay? So it's Seeking, seeking a Friend, a friend. For, the, for the End of the World. Well, Where's it available? Is it Netflix? Okay, we can watch it on YouTube or Google Play TV, which is the same as YouTube, or it takes me to YouTube because I've not installed the app, for two forty nine. <laughs> That's bargain. Let's do that then. SD. 3.49 HD, doubtless. All right. Okay, so it's decided next week, seeking a friend for the end of the world. That's going to be episode 50 here on Drive-By Cinema. Richard, can I leave you to... What? To do what? To Turn around and go home, even though I'm halfway there. Um. Oh, heck, oh. <laughs> Okay, twist, twist the knife right out. Until the next time, thank you for listening and goodbye. Ciao for now. See you on the next one. Goodbye.